Welcome. You're about to be ushered past the velvet rope and into a world of hyper-effective salesmanship that's understood and used only by the world's most notoriously rich and successful marketers. We're taking a journey deep inside the human brain, past the surface clutter, and into the psychological insights to answer the one crucial question, what makes people buy? I'm your host, Kevin Rogers, along with the most ripped off and respected copywriter alive, John Carlton, and this is Psych Insights for Modern Marketers. Hey everybody, welcome to Psych Insights from Modern Marketers. It's Kevin Rogers along with my partner, John Carlton. How you doing, John? Pretty good. Uh, I want to explain to people who are wondering about the sound right away that I'm sitting in my uh, office slash bunker right now with no power. Uh, we've got a high winds. They're reading blasts at 76 miles an hour. It's wow. just blowing trees over and fences over and apparently blowing power boxes off of their uh, stands. But uh, AT&T is coming through, so I'm on my cell phone uh, listening to the wind howl outside. It's, it's kind of like living in a, a gothic novel right now, a, uh, um, yeah. a Jane Austen, you know, Wuthering Heights thing. Uh, but uh, as long as you guys can hear me, we can uh, we can get the uh, podcast done. Well, I appreciate that you've dedicated your last power source <laughs> to the outside world <laughs> to recording our casual podcast. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to go plug this phone into the uh, car to get it to. Oh boy, yeah, it's like it's 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 as close to the apocalypse as I've been in the last <laughs> month or so. But There's only on the, on the horizon. Well, cool. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad we're doing this episode, and it's probably perfectly appropriate that you're sitting there in the dark, like you said, and with gothic overtones, because I wanted to do an episode, John, where uh, I just dive into your brain with writing questions. And uh-huh. of course, this is a show about copywriting and marketing, but even beyond copywriting, which we talk about at length here on the show, I want to talk about more just general writing because you know john you're known as one of the best pure writers who's ever written sales copy and even as your friend a guy you've trained a guy you've even you know hired and critiqued uh to to write for you i still marvel every time i read even a simple facebook post from you um and so i well thanks Thanks for that. I, I, I appreciate that. You know, this this kind of, in my generation, guys like Kennedy and Howard and I, you know, what counted was who was the best marketer, who could bring in the most sales, who had the most savvy. That's what mm-hmm. a good copywriter is, is a, is a business man who applies writing. But the secondary thing that we were concerned about with was who was the better writer. Mm-hmm. And that I'm not so sure that the younger generation of copywriters are, you know, cares about it as much as we did. We, we really poured our heart and soul into the craft of writing, uh, and then, and then adjusted that to copywriting. So we were writers who became copywriters in, 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 uh, in, in a lot of cases. Kennedy would be a marketer who became a copywriter. 
Talbert was uh, uh, a writer who uh, immediately went into copywriting, but I was a writer first, and then I went into copywriting. So we all get here from different um, places, but there is an old school element of marveling at the written word, uh, Mm -hmm. which is why I've always recommended um, E.B. White's uh, Elements of Style, for example, Mm -hmm. which is an important, very, very thin, uh, Strunk and White, actually, are are the Mm co-authors, a very slender tome that the old school guys really paid attention to. And uh, it still needs to be read by younger writers who tend to overwrite without the... uh, Without the limits of print advertising, which which gives you limited space in which to say something, the web lets you spout off to your heart's content, and people tend to get really sloppy, and they don't get pithy, and a non-pithy writer, and I'm sorry if you have to go look up pithy, but go <laughs> it. I'm not going to tell you what it means, but to be able to write... Uh, short and sweet and, and pack oodles of information using the, just the right word, uh, to be able to make the writing sing, to be able to understand what, what syntax has to do with the communication value of what you're trying to say, not to just a lot of writers lose readers because they, they just get into murky prose where you, you, you can't understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. I often come across writers, I have to reread the sentence, sometimes the paragraph, to yeah. figure out what the hell the guy's trying to say. Right. And writing should never be like that. Great writing is invisible, much like a great song in the background. You may not be listening to it, but you're tapping your foot and you're feeling good and, right. and a lot of a lot of visceral stuff is happening. So so writing is a conveyance vehicle for 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 ideas, for for intellectual uh, uh, pursuits, for for arguments, for communication. But the writing can't call attention to itself. Um, if it does, that's not good writing. That's show off writing. And a lot of good writers can't show off on occasion. But what you want is that, is that liquid gold that just, that, that just is a pleasure to read, but you may not even be, you may not even realize how, how much you enjoy reading. Right. Stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, I just want to throw that in. That's great. You know, that, that's one of the things about your style, John, to me is that, I think people will try to mimic you a little bit for a minute and then they kind of realize, you know what? There's not one pattern to this. There's not one formula to me. What, what is the John Carlton style is the, 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 the weightiness of it. You know, there's a lot going on in the words you choose, the way you format your sentences. And again, it's not predictable. And I, I, that's what's always attracted me and really impressed me. Um, so I'm just going to go through. I have some questions I want to just ask. Okay, you but let me, let me just jump on that first, mm-hmm. because that's, that's very insightful. And I'll bet if, you know, because uh, over in the, uh, in the writer's group we belong to online, there's been a long thread on the software. Uh, or, or, or excuse me, maybe that was on Facebook. Anyway, there's uh, software out there that's, that's supposed to mimic a, a, a human copywriter. So there won't be a need for human copywriters very soon because mm-hmm. the software is doing everything, you know, needed. And of course, copywriters are howling in protest and, <laughs> and, and the software doesn't work as promised, et cetera, et cetera. But the, 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 the quest goes, goes on for that. Mm-hmm. But the idea of a style, the idea of, writing for its own sake, the idea of writing being 
it's 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 kind of like how good looking guys become better politicians uh good looking women you know become actresses faster than you know than other women who are relegated to character roles that say good you know good writing is good looking writing it's a, the advantage mm-hmm. of 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 good writing and by studying it one one of the reasons you and I get along so much is that you did the verbal element of this by with stand up and you rely with stand up on the surprise interjection of a word that suddenly takes everything sideways, the uh, incongruous juxtaposition of, of you know of, of ideas that that creates shock value or a sudden laugh or a whoa that you know kind of that wake up call type of stuff. Yeah. And what I've tried to do in my writing throughout my life. And I think one of the advantages I have is just being so freaking old that, you know, and, and I've been writing since I could, you know, first pick up a, a, a pencil. I've always been interested in the communication value of, of writing and, and always read consciously, read critically, uh, marveled at a good sentence turned by Henry Miller or, or Hunter Thompson or whatever, and, and remembered a lot of it. But I also remember the syntax of good comics, the, the, the way, um, uh, you know, if, if you watch a, a daily show with uh, uh, John Stewart, he will insert a lot of cultural, um, idiosyncratic uh, things that are taken from rap music, that are taken from rock, that are from history, that are references, and he doesn't always explain them. He doesn't need to explain them, but part of the audience gets it. Others don't need to get it because he's still communicating, but he's doing things, making faces, uh, right. adopting voices, thinking, things like that. You can do all of this with writing. And great writing is not, you know, English teachers hate me. Uh, my, I make up my own grammar rules as I go. But it, it, the, only, the only gauntlet I run my writing to is, is it understandable? Does it, does it get the message across or at least make a point? Is it readable? And, you know, showing off and losing people by using fancy words that they don't understand is not good writing. Using a word that someone doesn't understand and forcing them to go look it up, <laughs> you know, right. where they actively do it because they want to figure out what the heck is going on. Right. That's a different kind of, of, of challenge you can throw out there to, to uh, uh, readers. And I know I have a number of readers, especially in social media, who don't have the vocabulary that, that I have or my writer colleagues have. But they hang in there anyway, and they enjoy it. And I think slowly, unconsciously, I'm pumping up their vocabulary a little bit. Americans have horrible vo- vocabularies. We rely on mm. the most basic words like, God, I went down to the store and got me some milk. You know, it, 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 And it, it, this passes for communication. Other parts of the world, they take their vocabulary a little more seriously. They like to convey precise meanings through words and Things right. like that. I actually can tell. I, 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 I've been thinking about this a lot. The idea of having a style, to me, means you have a, an abundance of different styles. You can rely on different things. Mm-hmm. So I will write, for example, a sentence that looks like it could have come out of a scholarly text, you know, at, at an Ivy uh, League college, mm-hmm. and then I'll end it with a completely you know, uh, a, a swear word or a completely, you know, uh, uh, slang mm. phrase that mm-hmm. just throws everything off. It's mm-hmm. like, it's like I, I, I set it up and then I throw it un, under the bus. Mm. But, you know, you have to wake people up, especially as copywriters. Uh, novelists are free to put people to sleep. A lot of people read novels to go to sleep. They right. read them in bed. Mm-hmm. They're trying to calm down, trying to relax. 
copywriters can't do that. You got to wake them up. So dancing that line between copywriting, which is waking people up and getting them to take action, and the other kinds of writing, like social media or writing fiction, which which I also do a little bit, or just writing in general, is a different kind of, of writing. You 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 can try to do different things, but it's you know as who was it that said the pen is mightier than the sword? It might have been Shakespeare. I don't know. I've only read a, a few Shakespeare things, mm-hmm. although everything I've read by him has stuck with me. Uh, you know, the, the learning how to write, the world is is your oyster. Um, there's no other talent that can survive every other disaster you have in life. Right. You can be poor. You can write your way out of it. You can be the lone voice in a crowd of people baying for your blood and write your way out of it. You can win over hearts and minds with, with, with good writing, and you can lose people with bad writing. So, okay, well, I'll let you get to your question. I think we'll probably cover a lot of this stuff. But anybody listening to this, if you're, if, if this topic doesn't excite you, uh, that doesn't mean you can't be a writer, uh, especially you can't be a copywriter. You can't. A lot of the, best copywriters out there, you know, pay attention to writing only as a means to increase their toolkit for increasing sales and, 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 and writing sales copy. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. A lot of the top writers are just using writing as one of their tools. But for a number of us, writing is, is more than that. Man, you just got me on 10 different things I'd love to go off on. But here's what I'm going to do. Because you know, I'm fascinated at the way you've jumped mediums uh, with a, a consistency, uh, like I said, to that weightiness that you bring to every time you communicate. And so one thing I want to ask you about, and I'm going to talk a little bit about Facebook. You mentioned it already. It's, it's, uh-huh. a, it's a form you've embraced and really excelled at. Um, but I want to know, because um, we talk a lot, in, particularly in copywriting, about you know, conversational tones and writing like you talk, but mm-hmm. you speak eloquently, but it's not the same voice. And no. so I'm interested, you know, what is the voice you hear in your head when you write? How is it different from the one when you speak? Well, first of all, the idea that writers <clears throat> speak like they write has always been wrong. Um, we tap into a different part of the brain, and I, I don't have the details on it, but I can tell you from personal experience that we do, because I've been experimenting with voice-to-text a lot, like mm-hmm. when I'm communicating an email, and I will try to speak it out, and it's much harder for me to speak out something, because then I have to go back and edit, right? because the, the software can't recognize a lot of the things that I say, and certainly can't follow my stylings. Right. So, um, wouldn't it be uh, cool though if there was like a Carl a Carlton app where I could speak my lame words and they would become your? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I, yeah, that's your mocking me now with the software. But that that is part of it. I can't speak the way I write, and one of the reasons that I tap into a different part of my brain that very quickly runs everything through a gauntlet. Now there are a couple of different ways to write. One which I think most people think this is the way most writers write, is you just get in a groove. And sometimes I'll get in a groove, and you and I have exchanged emails and 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 and, and, and social media and done stuff, and I'll get in a groove, and if I stay in it, I'm fine. I don't do hardly any editing at all. I, I, I am in that part of my brain. Now, if someone came in and asked me a question, I would have to stop, stare at them for a minute, and get myself back into a verbal state of mind. That's a rare state to be in. That's a 
that's a groovy state. I wish I could turn it on like, like flipping on a switch, but I can't. I just kind of get into it or don't get into it. Mm-hmm. The other way to write, and by the way, the writing that is produced this way I'm about to tell you is equal to the writing that I do in a groove, but it's much harder to get to. So, and this is more like the voice to text stuff. I will say something like, I went to the store and got milk. Then, then I will pause and I'll say, is that the best way I can say that? What else could I say? How else, what other verbs might I use? You know, I waltzed down to the store and stole some milk. I mean, you change a couple of words and it changes everything in there. Right. You know, or, you know, or I went down to the store and got me some milk, dot, 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 and I don't even drink the damn stuff. You know, in fact, I hate cows, you know, and then, you know, <laughs> and, and you, you, and you go off of this stuff. So, you know, all this other stuff is going on when you're writing, it allows different parts of your brain to fire up and go in there. And you want that competitive, voice in your head saying that's that's you know there's got to be a better way to say it there's this nice adult person inside and then there's the there's the evil trickster demon inside of you which says let's let's screw this up you know or let's (laughs) let's mock ourselves and one of the best voices to have in advertising as as it turns out or or let's say guru dumb in in marketing um you know i get accused of being arrogant all the time Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I defy people to, you know, have have examples that of, of arrogance because I will write in a way that an arrogant person will write. But mm-hmm. what people miss is that the person I'm mocking the most is myself. Mm-hmm. I tell stories from my past. The reason my books and my blogs and my newsletters and stuff are all, you know, story uh, dance is because I'm telling stories in my life. This is what I learned from this thing that happened to me. It's usually I failed, and then I kind of figured it out, and I thought about it, and I did some critical you know, reexamination and decided to learn some new tools and add it, and here's how it could work, you know? And, here, and so now you get the benefit of my experience. I went out there, fell flat on my face, came back, figured it out, and now I'm telling you how, how to figure it out. But wasn't the story about me failing also fun, fun to, to look at? That's part of that, uh, when you take that out even broader, the idea of the uh, incongruous juxtaposition of various words. Mm-hmm. Now, in, in headlines for hooks, I talk about the incongruous juxtaposition, which merely means a jarring insertion. Mm-hmm. But I talk about the juxtaposition of sales copy so that the hook in, in a good advertisement has to begin the journey towards an action, a sale, pick up the phone, a call, get the free report, buy the damn thing, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other kinds of writing, you often just want to increase the interest, increase the value that the reader is getting from whatever you're writing so that you lead them on. Everybody reads sentence to sentence. If you're reading along and you're reading some great stuff, and because of a typographical error or a problem with um, – uh, you know, publishing, you know, say, uh, you know, if something happened, there's a jarring two pages are suddenly missing in something right in the middle of a sentence. And then you go to another sentence and jarring and you're stopped. You know, that you go, what the heck just happened? You can mm-hmm. either figure out, oh, they've obviously lost a couple pages or this thing just went off the rails. Or for, you know, that is the same thing that happens to a reader when you lose the groove, when you lose the, the nut at, at, at your writing it. It's like singing a song. Imagine Mick Jagger talking about, you know, uh, Gold Coast slave ships bound for cotton fields, uh, sold in a market down in New York, and then go off into some irrelevant thing about drinking Coca-Cola on the beach with, uh, you know, with, with Frank Zappa. It's just that that kind of jarring 
change doesn't work because it, it's more of a you know of a what the fuck kind of kind of response. But other jarring things that take you sideways into a fresh story that is a smooth segue. The word segue really needs to be played up. It's lost in writing. It's a lost art in radio DJing. It's a lost art in a lot of things. You, Kevin, when you were moderating uh, uh, shows as a stand-up comic, mm-hmm. you had you had to go out there entertain for what a minute and a half, maybe maybe less than that. Segue quickly into opening up the room to be uh, accommodating to the next guy coming out. So th- those kind of segues, those kind of smooth things, so the audience feel they have a chance to get up, and go outside, and smoke, and maybe maybe go do something else. Mm-hmm. Segues are very very important, and um, the uh, the art of a segue can involve jarring insertions of something that doesn't seem to fit. <clears throat> or takes you off on a different uh, path or wakes you up or makes you stop and say, wait a minute. And it's okay to do that when you're writing. That's some good, powerful writing. It actually makes you put the book down and sit back, but you're thinking about what you just read. You're not thinking about going off and getting a donut or something. Right. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, I love that. And you know what's funny about okay. that is, um, what? Go ahead. on a what? side note, that's why I don't read on electronic devices because of what you just said. Uh, it, it, my instinct, if I'm on the iPad, is to go share something that I found thought provoking, <laughs> and I'm like, "Damn it! Now I'm gone!" Right? You know. <laughs> Whereas if I'm on paper, I just I'll underline it and I'll sit there and I'll I'll, I'll thumb it and I'll, I'll ponder it. You know, that's a totally yeah. different experience. So. Uh, it's a great. I, point. I actually, yeah, I actually have a number of books on my uh, on my iPad in the in the in the Kindle app, mm-hmm. but I I have a little. We have a room we call the reading room. We actually have uh, four, maybe five bookcases up against one wall, crammed with books. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michelle and I are both avid book collectors, and for me, the books are company. I'm not reading all those books. Those are books. Right. Mostly I've read, except for a handful. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's comforting. It's just, it's just, I like being around the books, but, but that we call it the reading room. It's got plants and it's got a nice little couch and good light. Uh, mine is kind of dim. The shelves is very bright. And, uh, we can sit there looking across at these books, feeling kind of embraced by the history of literature and especially the history of literature in my life and, right. and in her life. Because yeah. these books are very, very personal, and I have a stack of books next to me on on the table where the, uh, you know, where I, I have a cup of coffee or 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 uh, sometimes a beer or something, and mm-hmm. it I, I and, and then the stack of books, and I'll pluck one out, and I'm reading several at a time. Uh, also jettisoning some, but there's many that, that I like. I'm reading short stories by uh, Gene Shepard right now, the guy who wrote uh, Christmas Stories. Mm-hmm. So it's like a 40-page uh, uh, short uh, story by him that I'll sit down and read. The physical act of opening the book, of putting the book back, of having the the uh, 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 the uh, uh, saving your page thing, the, the bookmark thing, the, the physical act of turning the page, of being able to skip ahead and see how many pages are left, so you don't go to dinner right away. You know, you say, ah, five minutes, I can I can finish this. You know, that to me, there's a little bit of art there. There's a little bit of skill, and, and it's a it's a, a skill set of how to devour the writing that you want to devour, that's lost in, in electronic stuff. Not to mention the differences in the way you, you look at the words, you know, the, the printed word, how it reflects lights, you know, off of various pages. And I, I grew up with pulp fiction, too. I mean, I read Kerouac in little 
thrashed uh, paperbacks that Mark Landstrom gave me. Mm. You know that that he had gotten from someone else, and they were dog-eared, and they they kind of stunk a little bit, just just a tiny bit, not not so much a mold and stuff, right. but just they'd been in backpacks right. and ta- you know and, and taken around, and there was history to the book. There was there was you talk about weightiness. There was a life to the book, yeah. and you know I, I I tell people when they're reading books to educate themselves, to treat books as tools, to rip pages out, to write in the books, to use them as much as you can. Don't worry about the sanctity of the book when you're trying to literally devour it. A good book that you're learning from should come away where if you want to keep a copy, you go buy a new copy of, of you know, Think and Grow Rich or something because you have thrashed the other one. You take it with you. You don't care if it if it crunches down the bottom of your backpack or if it's in, literally in your back pocket, right. you know, because you want to take it with you where you go. You, you, you get it wet. There's coffee stains. That's good uh, use of, of a book. Right. Uh, but there is a sanctity to books too, but the sanctity is not the physical nature of it. It's everything the book brings to the table. Mm-hmm. It's a, uh, it's, 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 it's civilization in, in, you know, you know, 300 pages of everything that went into the, the mechanical, uh, production of paper, the, the 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 press that that prints the thing out, the idea of marketing, the idea that this guy made it to publishing, the ideas that are in there, the idea that other people have read this and are urging you to read it, the the mm. communication, the the forward flow of generation uh, to generation, you know, the people who have no idea, like Fitzgerald had no idea who we are, what we're about, yet he was writing for generations beyond him. By the way, speaking of Fitzgerald, uh, The Great Gatsby was a flop when it came out, and mm. he died before it actually uh, caught critical mass. Uh, wow. you know, a lot of English teachers started uh, assigning it because they, they thought it was, was the great American novel. I don't think it's the great American novel, but a number of my friends do. It is certainly one of the great American novels. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he died. <laughs> he died in a drunken stupor thinking he had been a complete failure with mm. that last book. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, never knowing Leonardo DiCaprio. What a shame. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's a great um, place for my next question. One of the things I wanted to ask you wait, about. Wait, wait. Hold that, hold, hold that thought before you get there. The <laughs> okay. difference in Facebook. I didn't want to get that. I wrote that down. Okay. Facebook is between Twitter and a blog. In a yeah. blog, I have to get accused of writing too much. And I think blogs are kind of on the way out. I. I hope they stick around because they are an extended way to write. Mm-hmm. But Facebook actually made a smart move. They will allow me to write as much as I want. I've written pages of material in a Facebook mm-hmm. post. Yep. And God bless Zuck for once for allowing that to happen because <laughs> I think there was a lot of pressure for him to go more in the Twitter direction, which is the, uh, is it 46 characters? 140. Char- 140. Huh? 140. Yeah, but 140 characters pulled out of somebody's ass, right. you know, and I learned how to write in Twitter very quickly because uh, it's, it was kind of like writing captions for photos, and I got very good at, at all the physical elements of writing, so writing headlines, writing uh, a copy for print ads where there was very specific limits on what you could write, you know, and keep the uh, typeface legible, mm-hmm. you know, you couldn't just keep reducing the typeface to four point, you know, to get more words in, because nobody could read it at that size, you had to keep it at 12 point. And that meant you could only write, say, a thousand words and not a word more, you know. And captions are like that, too. So I, I knew how to write short. A lot of old school writers know how to do that. I adapted to Twitter very well. But I 
don't use Twitter because I'm kind of offended at the lack of depth in 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 in, in the, in the method. It's like yeah. it's like mm-hmm. yeah, in the exchange. It's like I, I get that as a news thing or something, you know, as reporting, you know, right from the things that are happening. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. You know, they you can start trends and do things like that, but it's very shallow. It's a shallow end of the pool. The blog is the ocean. You know, it's just thing. You know, things can go on. You can. I like the permanence of the blog. Uh, it's not a. It's not a passing parade or a party. You're waiting your way through. Um, uh, so you know, it's like if you read uh, today's blog post, and I try to post about once or, or twice a month now. Uh, to 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 just keep the blog going. I, it's it's over t- uh, ten years old now with you know free archives. But you can go to the previous post of a month before, and it's right below it. And it's you know, mm-hmm. and the one before that is right below that. It's in chronological order. It's, it's easily accessible. So all the comment threads are there, and all the things in Facebook, it's gone. You've right. got a you know, even with a rabid audience, you've got a couple of days at most, and maybe somebody will comment on an old one who just who just became a follower of me will go back to a post. They'll be glancing through the post. They'll comment. It'll pop back up, mm-hmm. you know, and and maybe cause a little flutter, but it's gone for the most part. And that I, I don't necessarily like that part, but I like the way that Facebook has slowed the conversational thing down. So it's like, you know, Twitter's like walking through a party, hearing snatches of conversation and rarely stopping and actually talking with someone. Mm-hmm. A blog is being married. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard that story, John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> Facebook, yeah. Facebook is like sitting down with a small group of really good friends and getting into it. Because a lot of the action happens in the in the comment threads afterwards. Right. It's a huge part of it. The immediacy, the the back and forth, the the you know, it, it's and, and not so much the likes, uh, although the likes ensure that it gets into the newsfeed of, of of other people. But the comments are much more important for people to get in there. It's that sense of going back and forth. You get your usual little fan base, so you can always count on a certain number of people that you know just chime in yeah. <clears throat> for what whatever reason. But it's it's a joy when you get new people. In, into the conversation and things really take off and take on a life of their own and go off. I, I, I really enjoy it. I think, I think Facebook was a huge revolution in um, the in social media. It kind of for me, it defines social media much more than Twitter or even a blog. Yeah, agreed. It's engagement. Um, so I'm going to read one of your posts. Uh, <clears throat> hope you don't mind because. Um, I know you didn't put a ton of thought into this one, I'm guessing, but I want to make the point that um, you bring this style that you've established and I know that you've personally nurtured nurtured because you you care a lot about writing and your own writing. Uh, But here's a typical just you're bringing up the Super Bowl and a lot of people... Uh, essentially, you're asking who you're rooting for. You're you're you're, you're inciting, fee- uh, you know, dialogue, feedback, right? So a lot of people would just write that. Who are you rooting for? Who do you like Sunday? This is what you wrote. Right. So so John Carlton writes. So the Super Bowl, huh? <laughs> the the universe teeters breathlessly as the bread and circus comes reeling to a climax. Cruel fate clutches its pearls. I've got twenty dollars writing on a halftime wardrobe malfunction. <laughs> Can't decide on which coach will toss the first challenge rag, though. Uh, in parentheses, even money prop bet at the sports book. Who are you rooting for? 
I mean, you know, I mean, there's there. I mean, you know, I don't know what that is. That's that's Tom Waits. That's 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 lyrical. And I, I, I'm just interested in, in knowing, you know, how, you remember writing that and where's your head at? Is, is that just what naturally yeah, comes out? Yeah. Like what's behind that? That took a. Uh, I, I would say I edited that before I actually published it, but it, it kind of came out. I, I was in a flow state, mm-hmm. and uh, I wrote it in three different stages, actually, over a period of minutes. Mm-hmm. It, it, it wasn't like I went and did something else, came back. But I wrote it. I thought, and, and often when I sit down, and you know, I didn't think I need to write something about the Facebook. I, I just thought I had Facebook up. I thought, uh, I thought, what the hell? I'm going to write a Facebook post. I go, what's up? Uh, you know, the Super Bowl. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm kind of having a conversation with myself, the Super Bowl, huh? You know, and then I thought, let's just get fancy. And I actually wrote that next part. You know, I, I, I don't have it in front of me. but Cruel fate. Universe. Cruel fate clutches its pearls. I mean, that that is I went not. Back, I, yeah. I, I went back and edited that. Okay. Actually. I I had I had that you know so the Super Bowl uh, the bread and circus comes rolling in town that's a reference of course to the Roman habit of uh, you know the gladiator fights the bread and circus they gave people bread and circus to keep mm-hmm. them from rebelling and, and destroying Rome um, so there's, that's kind of a, a historical mm. uh, reference to it and it really is bread and circus so you know it's it's uh, you know you can watch it for free on TV blah 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 but the bread is is yeah. Anyway, um, but, you know, and, and then I thought I was actually going to leave it at that first part, you know, uh, and and then I thought uh, I, I actually had cruel fate. No, I didn't have cruel fate. I had uh, the fate of mankind hangs in the balance or, or something like that. Then mm-hmm. I thought, nah, it, you know, it, it's so that 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 uh, 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 trickster, you know, demon in my head said, mm-hmm. nah, now you're getting. Now you're getting just boring. Too easy. And yeah. uh, it, it's kind of like a boring alarm went up. So I thought, you know, oh, yeah. And then the term came. I, I, I could have picked two different terms there in that alley my brain went down, which was either the fainting couch or clutching pearls, which are both kind of 100, you know, century-old references to Victorian, mm-hmm. you know, Victorian thinking. You know, they would swoon, you know, if they heard, ladies would swoon if they heard a, a, bad, a bad word. They also clutch their pearls. I, I don't even know if modern people understand the reference, but it's to people who are outraged at, you know, and nervous. And, well, you it's know, visual. Like you the, can the see modern, it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, cruel fate, that it's important that it was cruel fate. It could have been just fate. So there's a little bit of thought. All this took place in under a minute. I mean, it's like that. And then I, and then I, then I did the pivot thing. And then something just occurred to me and I go, uh, you know, I said, this is good. I want people to read this. So I pivoted. And then I went back to slang. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, kind of a shock with the malfunction wardrobe, uh, the, the wardrobe malfunction thing is a common meme for anybody talking about the um, Super Bowl. In fact, you could sit in a group of people drinking beer yeah. right before the game and just turn to them and say wardrobe malfunction, and they don't <laughs> laugh and titter because it's part of the conversation. It, right. it, it's it's a non sequitur. It doesn't mean anything, but it's it's funny. And then and then the next question is, well, wait, who who is the halftime? Yeah, yeah, you remember that? Oh yeah, you remember where you were? We saw Janet Jackson and blah blah blah. And Katy Perry, wow, there actually was a bet on whether Katy Perry would show cleavage or not, which I found out when I got to the sports book. So <laughs> she did. Yeah. And um, to the contract, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. 
but yeah, uh, uh, so so the contrast, the the um, the elements of high end fancy writing, the the pivot to a more you know, it's like you start out in the uh, in the Victorian uh, drawing room, you know, speaking high-minded stuff, and then swerve over into the philosophical thing. It's kind of like, as I'm thinking about this, Kevin, I didn't think about it then, but it's like imagine a room in your head, mm. and in there you've got the you've got the high-minded guy who can write, you know, like crazy. You can write like Hemingway. You can write like Fitzgerald. You can write like you know Shakespeare. And then you've got the the embittered you know, philosopher who's just mad about everything and wants, wants to throw a wrench. You know, he's, he's kind of an anarchist. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the, uh, you got the uh, blue collar guy drinking beer and just saying, I don't care about any of that. I just want, you know, I want to get, you know, I want to see some TNA, you know, on this thing. And then you've got, you know, maybe a few other people, you know, or, or you know, a, a, a guy who's really funny and positive, a guy who's funny and negative, but, you know, and, and if you think about those people in your room and, and then the, the trickster God is the main one in my room, the guy who's just, covering in the shadows and just lurches out and scares everybody and trips people and likes to make messes and you know the the total anarchist three stooges laurel and hardy all of that kind of stuff so you know when those people are in there and they start to you know you don't let them you know that's a post where you don't let them all have a say in each sentence you give each of them a shot and the whole thing becomes this this kind of little, you know, one-act drama right. of different people actually being in there. That's, so that's it's a, kind of schizophrenic now. Yeah, <laughs> we, this is a huge insight that I never thought of either. But this is exactly, if you read it, what's happening. It's like dialogue of yeah. different characters in a room. So Super Bowl, right. huh? Like somebody, okay. And then this high-minded guy talks about, you know, making these historical reference references very eloquently cruel fate clutches its pearls and then a totally different voice yeah i got twenty dollars right on a halftime wardrobe malfunction and then you exactly. know, can't decide on which coach will talk you, you don't even say first challenge flag would have been fine rag totally different thing there's a lot of character in that word choice and so did i put in rag did i finally use yeah, rag I you use rag mm-hmm. yep first challenge okay. rag now now, while you're in this, while you're in the mm. midst of talking about this, mm. it, it, I, I don't think we mentioned, <clears throat> I, um, I study lyrics in songs, and, and I've, I've, I've been kind of semi-cursed, but also blessed with remembering most of the lyrics, most of the songs that I've loved throughout my life, all the rock and roll, the 60s, the 70s. I can even hear songs, you know, a few times now, and I, I'm always listening to the lyrics because the lyrics are important to me, but not in a straight writing thing. It's more in the lyrical way the lyrics happen. That's why Mick Jagger is one of my favorite uh, uh, lyric writers. Also, John Lennon. Mm-hmm. Um, these guys do hooks. These guys do bring in all these references, and they will lose people, but they you don't lose them because it's a rock and roll song. So right. it doesn't matter that people don't know what the words is, but it matters to me because when I write, there is a lyricism to it. There is a beat. There is a Okay, we're going to wrap up part one right there. And coming up in part two, we'll dive deeper into the subject of music and song lyrics and the three types of um, musical rhythms that John taps into for his own writing style. I think you're going to get a lot of cool tips out of that, as I did, and also how to engage your mental looping off switch so that you can pump out a quick first draft of raw gold copy. 
Well, that's all coming up next in part two of Wrath of the Trickster God, a naked breakdown of John Carlton's twisted writing process. PI, the number four, mm.com. That's the podcast website where we always welcome your comments. Also check out John's blog at john-carlton.com and my private members-only copywriting community at copychief.com. See you there.